Well, it's getting close. A week from Tuesday, we will select the 45th President of the United States. And to help us make this very important decision, three debates were held between the top two candidates. And of course, the purpose of a debate is to uh, allow us to hear both sides of an issue so that we can decide which one we agree with more and therefore will vote for. Now, when it comes to uh, deciding on who's going to be president, uh, it's important for us to make sure that we really understand the facts. And we do the same kind of thing personally. When it comes to personal decision-making, we, we process almost like a debate on the inside. We consider options in terms of what we like and what we don't like. We often call this a list of pros and cons, and the option with the most pros gets our vote. Now, the helpfulness of this process, whether it's our internal decision-making process or the, the debate that goes on more publicly in the political process, the key to this is the accuracy of what it is that we are hearing in a debate or what we are thinking as we debate in our own minds as we make our personal decisions. Because if what we're thinking or what we're hearing is not true, then what would have been a con is switched to a pro, and what would have been a pro is switched to a con. And that's why there is so much attention given after every presidential debate to the task of fact-checking. I don't know if you know this, but politicians from time to time lie. Why would they do that? Why, why would they distort the facts? Well, it's obvious. They, they want to influence the outcome. They want to influence the decision. And they realize, increasingly this is true, they realize that most people will not take the time to check out whether or not the claims that they're making are true or false. They understand that the impression that a lie might make, that everyone hears, is going to last a whole lot longer than the truth that almost nobody bothers to uncover. So they understand if they, they can say something, even if it's not true, it's, it's going to make an impression. And especially in this culture, when people just form decisions based on 15 or 20 second little sound bites, they just want to get a sound bite in there. And they realize that hardly anybody is going to really do the work to try to figure out, is that an actually true statement or a false statement? Now, in politics, that's nothing new. But even the most seasoned election watchers have been surprised at the amount of lying that's gone on in this election cycle. I mean, just bold-faced lying. Statements that both candidates know are just not true. In the past, the lying was, for the most part, of the subtle, more of the subtle variety. You know, key facts would be left out to create a false impression. But, as I said increasingly, it's just outright lying. In fact, there's a new term that's been used to describe where our culture is, not only as it relates to elections, but in general. And it's come out of this presidential election cycle, and the term is post-truth. The idea is that as a culture now, we've moved beyond truth. Truth is no longer that important to us. It's, it's pretty much impressions and, and feelings is how we make our decisions politically and beyond that. Now, I was going to list some of the lies that were said by both candidates in the last three presidential debates, but I didn't want to get you more upset than maybe you are already. And I didn't want to distract you from our main topic, which is not the political decision-making process, but our personal decision-making process. So if you want to check out the lies, you can go to a website called factcheck.org, and they will list for you all of the facts uh, in contrast to the lies that were said in all three of the presidential debates. So you can do that on your own time. Now, of course, the fact that politicians lie 
Uh, it's probably not news to you. That's been around as long as politics have been around. The more shocking and important news is how often we tend to lie to ourselves, especially when it comes to important decisions. And that, of course, makes for some very poor decisions. One of the tools that God has given us to make good decisions is our brain, our ability to analyze the facts. And the key to our analysis depends on whether the data we are considering is true or false. In Proverbs 14.8, it says this, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. They believe lies. Now, the word prudent means to know what decision to make that is right before God. Now, the reason the prudent, it says here, know what God wants them to do in a particular situation is because they've given thought to their ways. Not just this particular decision. That's important to understand. They're not just thinking about this one decision. They're, They're thinking about this decision in the context of of their ways, the path that has brought them to this point, and the path that this decision will now take them on. I want you to think about a decision that you're facing right now, something that you're at the crossroads of, you're weighing, should I do this or should I do that? Now, you haven't appeared instantly on the scene of this decision. You've made a number of decisions that have brought you to this decision point. And after you make this decision, it's going to take you this way or this way. And so our decisions form paths, and paths take us somewhere in life. And so God is interested not just in this particular decision, but he's also interested in in the ways of our life. He's interested in in the aggregate number of decisions and, and the patterns of how we go about making our decisions. Now, a fool is only thinking about the moment. They're just thinking about this one decision. They're not thinking any bigger than that, and therefore they are easily deceived because their analysis is is not big enough. It's just this one intersection, this one decision. And there are three facts that shape our path and therefore are critical to the analysis we do behind every decision we make. I want to share these three paths with you this morning. The first, or these three facts, the first fact is the facts about you. We need to understand who we are, who God made us to be if we're going to make a proper decision as we move forward. Romans 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That's an interesting statement. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Why would the Bible say that? Well, apparently it's a problem. I mean, it's not going to tell us to stop doing something if it's not something that we regularly do. Now, our culture, of course, thinks that the opposite is the problem, that we don't think highly enough of ourselves. And so for decades now, we have been told to tell our kids and to tell ourselves that we and they can do anything they put their minds to. Now, that idea was made popular by the wise prophet, Jiminy Cricket, back in 1940. (laughs) You know, when you're taking advice from a cricket, you may be making some bad decisions. But in 1940, Disney had their breakout movie. I mean, they've 
they they did stuff before this, but Pinocchio was one of the movies that really began to launch the Disney movie making empire. And the the key song you know in Pinocchio is "When You Wish Upon a Star," and that became the the, the words in that and the ideas in that became the theme of the Disney empire and almost every movie that they've made ever since then. And it affect popular culture to this day. So here here's just an excerpt of what it says in that song. When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come true. Well, wouldn't that be amazing? Like a bolt out of the blue, you know, how does that happen? Anything you want, well, like a bolt out of the blue, fate steps in and just sees you through. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Really? Is that the way life works? Is that true? I mean, is that how your life has worked? If not, maybe you've just been wishing on the wrong star. You need to kind of change your orientation, pick a different star, and get a little more serious about wishing. That, that is not how life works. But when a person who has been raised to think that they can do anything they put their minds to, whenever they come to a crossroad of a decision in their life, they are absolutely blind to the important clues that God has given them at that point about who they are and therefore what God might want them to do. God didn't make us all the same. He made us unique. And the purpose behind that is so that we might do certain things that other people don't do, and they're going to do some things that we don't do. And whenever a person who thinks they can do anything comes to a decision, well, for them, the options are unlimited. Because it makes no difference who they are, according to Jiminy. But God made us for a purpose. We have a role to play. What is our role? Well, one of the key questions behind that is, what has God given you? That'll really help you make some important decisions. Who are you? What has God made you to be? Well, let me continue on in Romans 12. Let me read verse 3 again and continue on down through verse 8 because it gives us a little more instruction about who we are. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you is one body with many members, you know, you're a body and you don't just have one type of body part. You've got all kinds of different body parts. And these members do not all have the same function. They don't do the same thing. So in Christ, we, though we are many, we form one body. But each member belongs to the others. But we're all different. We have different gifts. Why? According to the grace given to each of us. And then it lists just some of the gifts. It's not a complete list, but... If your gift is prophesying, well, then you probably should prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, guess what God wants you to do? Serve. If it's teaching, you probably should teach. If it's to encourage, well, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, well, then do that diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Now, a lot of these items are, are important for all of us to do. We all need to give. We all need to have mercy. We all need to serve in certain ways. We all need to be encouragement. But God has wired us differently and given us some gifts. And so some of us, we really have the gift of encouragement. And, and we really need to make sure we're in a position where we can do that at a higher level than someone that maybe has a different gift. And God distributes, according to these verses, 
two life-changing gifts to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. He gives us faith, and he gives us grace. Now, faith, let's look at that first of all. Faith is basically the confidence in what you cannot see, namely God, the ability to trust God. Now, God gives out, according to what this says here, different measurements, a different distribution of faith. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that God has given you enough faith to make that decision, enough faith to trust in who Jesus is and accept the forgiveness that he offers and now follow him. You're able to make a decision and change your life based on the evidence, but not in someone that you can see. You've got baseline level faith. But beyond that, God apparently gives more faith to some than to others. Why? He's got different assignments in mind, different scope, different size, different task. The most famous Christian individual that I know personally is Rick Warren. Rick is the pastor of Saddleback Church in South Orange County, the author of The Purpose Driven Life. And when I first uh, moved here to California in 1990 to be a pastor here, um, I was with a group of about eight other pastors, and we met with Rick every Tuesday morning, the first Tuesday of every month, and spent the morning in his office just talking about how to lead churches, and he gave us advice. And so I got to know Rick at that point. And we're not buds. We don't, you know, chat all the time at all. But whenever I see Rick or run into Rick, I, I am struck by the amount of faith that God has measured to him. Now, one of the indicators for me, there's several indicators for me, but one of the indicators is how much opposition that man faces. Now, if you're going to lead at any level, you're going to face some opposition. But if the leadership assignment is significant, that just means the opposition is going to rise in proportion to the amount of leadership that you have. Now, I face a fraction of the opposition that Rick does. And I'm, I'm just amazed at how much faith Rick has to keep moving forward. Because when people oppose you, it's important to say, well, am I, am I doing something wrong? Do I need to adjust something? But if the answer is no, I just, I just need to keep going forward. That, that takes a lot of faith when people are opposed to you. And I know that because like any leader, I've faced opposition, not Rick-level opposition, but I've faced some. And you just have to trust God as you move forward. So why did God give Rick a different measure of faith than he gave me? Is it because he likes Rick more than me? No, we just have a different assignment. Now, we, we all grow in faith. God has stretched my faith. I would imagine if you're a follower of Christ, God has stretched your faith and you're going to grow. But God gives different amounts of faith to handle different kinds of assignments. And if I decide to compare myself to someone else, let's say like Rick, and say, you know what? I can do whatever my heart desires. And I decide, you know what, we need to be doing the exact same things that Saddleback Church is doing, the exact same things that Rick is doing. We'd be in trouble if I led us to be just like them. Is it because we're a better church or a worse church? No, we're just a different church. We're in a different community. We have some different assignments. I'm a different person. And whenever you start envying somebody else because you want that level of faith, Maybe God just didn't give it to you. Now, that's, that's a shock to us as Americans. 
Because we think everybody should be the same. Everybody should be paid the same. Everybody should be doing the same job. Everyone should have the same privileges. And God said, I've, I've made you all very different, not because I love some people more than others, but I've just got a large variety of assignments. And there's going to be different things you need for different assignments. Some of you are just going to need a whole lot more faith because the assignment is, well, it's a whole lot harder or it's got a lot larger scope to it. And I'll give you the faith to handle it. But if you try to take on an assignment that I haven't given you because you're envious of somebody else, you're going to get in trouble because you don't have the measurement, the distribution that goes with that assignment. So have a sober estimate of who you are. God has also given us different graces, not just a different amount of faith, but different graces. Grace is God's undeserved help. The primary way that we tend to think of God's grace is the biggest form of help that he's given us, and that is the forgiveness that he offers us through his son, son Jesus Christ, the forgiveness for our sins. It's undeserved, and it's help that we need. We could never have been good enough to put our relationship with God right. Now, none of us have the ability to distribute all of the other grace that God wants to distribute in this world all by ourselves. We can't single-handedly do everything that God wants to do in this world. So God has divided up all that he wants to do, all the grace that he wants to accomplish in this world, and divided all of that up into individuals, and he's given us grace gifts, or what are often known as spiritual gifts. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have been given at least one spiritual gift and probably more. And then he has organized all of these grace gifts, these spiritual gifts, into churches. As it says in this verse, the body of Christ. And the church is the primary agent through which God distributes his grace or his help in the world. And it's called the body of Christ so that we can understand that we're not all the same. Like our bodies, there are many different parts, and together we work together, and we do what Jesus wants done on this earth. We are the body of Christ on earth. Any one of us can't do it all by ourselves, but we come together in individual churches like this, and we can do a lot of what God wants done in this community. Now, the measure of God's grace gift tells you the kind of work that God wants you to do. The measure of faith tells you the scope of the work that he wants done. And it's really helpful to get clear on the, these two gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given both faith and grace. But we don't get all the same amount of faith or the same part of God's grace. And God has a purpose behind what he has given. So if he's given you, for example, the gift of serving, what that means in part is you love serving behind the scenes. Did he give you that gift because his intention is that one day you stand up in front of people and teach? Probably not. If you have the gift of serving, that's the last thing you'd want to do. So the question is, what grace gift has he given you? That's an indicator of the kinds of things that he wants to do through you. God gives you a gift, you open it up, you look at it, it's like, okay, now I've got a little more clarity on what my assignment is. I've been given this to use in the body of Christ. Now, if you're fuzzy or not really clear on what your gifts are, we, uh, we've got a, 
spiritual gift test that you can take. And what we're going to do is put a link to this right next to the audio for the message. So when we post the message for this Sunday, if you go to that on our website, and you'll see the link that'll take you to this spiritual gift test. I took it, and it took you know, maybe 10, 12 minutes to take the test. And it'll give you a pretty good indicator of what may be the top three spiritual gifts that you have or grace gifts that you have. Now, you need to try these and implement them and see if they really are, but it'll give you a good indicator and a good start on that. So as you face an important decision, one of the key questions you need to ask is, who am I? What has God made me to be? And make sure the decision you make is in line with the measure of faith and the measure of grace that God has given you. The second important fact are the facts about your assignments. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says this, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So the Apostle Paul is writing here to brand new Christians in the city of Corinth. And one of the questions that they had was, okay, now that we've become Christians and we're part of the body of Christ doing what God wants done here in the world, we're hanging around waiting now for our new assignments. What exciting new assignments might God give us? And Paul basically says, you're doing it. What are we doing? Well, where do you work? That's your assignment. Where do you live? That neighborhood's your assignment. What church are you a part of? That's your assignment. But we were wanting some new and exciting assignment. Paul said, well, that's not the way it works, at least initially. You know, they're they're waiting to do something great for God. And Paul says, no, you're in your current situation because God has placed you there. That's, that's an interesting thought. I mean, why are you on the job you're on? Well, it's probably because you filled out an application or you know, found it online and you interviewed and they accepted you and you've been working there now. So it seems like it's all you, all your decision. Or why are you in this neighborhood? Well, you were looking for a place to rent or something to buy and this one fit what you liked and your interest and was in your budget, and so you moved there. You see, behind all of those decisions you make, God is in a bigger way saying, okay, let me assign you to this job. Let me assign you to this neighborhood. Let me assign you to this church. So the idea is that you've already been given orders. You've already been posted. This job, this city, this church may not be where God wants you forever, But unless you're in open rebellion to him, you can just assume that this is his current assignment. So be faithful there. Because until you're faithful with the current assignment, God's not going to give you a different one. So don't leave your post until you get new orders. What we tend to do is we fall for the appeal of what is new, oftentimes because our situation is tedious or hard or boring, but it's often in the hard times that God grows us most. Now, God may have a new assignment for you at some point, but the way it usually works is God usually gives clarity about a new assignment only after we've been faithful to the big three assignments that are true of every new and individual assignment. 
So let me explain the big three assignments. So no matter what your particular assignment is, where your job is, where you live, these three are true of you if you're a follower of Christ. Assignment number one is your walk with God. This is about your personal relationship with God. This never changes, no matter where you are. You need to spend time building your relationship with God. You need to spend time listening to what He has to say through His Word. You need to spend time praying and bringing your life before Him and do the work of taking the truth of God's Word and aligning your life to it and beginning to actually implement it and weave it into your life. That takes time. That's your assignment. And in the middle of all that you're doing, that needs to be there. Assignment number two is family life. If you're married, you have a spouse. If you have a family, you have children. That's your assignment. And so whenever you make a new decision, you need to think, well, how will this decision affect my God assignment? How will this decision affect my family assignment? And if it forces you to kind of ignore those, then it's probably not a good decision. God doesn't give us a new assignment that says, you know what, you're going to have no time for me and no time for your family. That brings us to assignment number three, church life. You know, God gave you a grace gift and a place to make a difference with it. So the idea is you're not just supposed to attend church. You're, you're supposed to use what God has given you to help advance what he wants done at the church that you're at. You see, this is not one of God's, not, we're not like a grocery store where this is just one of the many uh, distribution centers where you can get your spiritual groceries each week. And then you can go home and you got what you need. I mean, this, this is a part of what God does. But God's given you a gift for a purpose beyond that. The purpose of church is not just so that everyone can come sit and watch me exercise my spiritual gift. I mean, there's so much more going on right now, so many more gifts that are being used, so much that you may not even see that really is making a difference. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're supposed to be a part of a church where you're really using your gift. You've been posted somewhere. That's your assignment. Now, this is not a list for you to work through in order of the time that you have. You know, if, you, if, you, if you don't have time for the bottom two, well, then you, at least you do your walk with God. And then next, if you've got time, you you take care of some family things. And then, you know, if, if you got a lot of extra time, well, then you start really getting involved in church. No, it's not a list of order of importance. It's more like three balls. You got to keep juggling in the air all the time. You, you will go through seasons maybe where it takes a little more effort to keep one in the air. But there's never to be a season of time where you just let one drop. All three just, they need to be keep, keep in the air. And if you let one of these drop, then you're not going to get clarity on any new exciting assignment from God. These three just need to be in the air. That's how God gives us direction. So we need to be clear about the facts about ourselves, who we are, the facts about our assignments, and then number three, the facts about your destiny. Now, I think we can all agree that a good decision is one that works out, and a bad decision is one that doesn't, Right? I mean, you look back on your life and you make some decisions and you're like, ooh, that was a mistake. Why do you say that was a mistake? It, was, it just was a disaster. It didn't work out, right? Or there's some other decisions. You look back and you say, that was a good decision. You know, I've purchased two houses. The first one was a bad decision. Why? I lost all kinds of money. 
other decision, the one we're in now, well, we've got some equity. So that's a good decision, right? That's the way we think. The question, though, we need to ask is, work out when? What's the timetable? When is it going to work out? You know, for a two-year-old, it's today. It's got to work out today. Well, not even today, about right now, right? For adults, we, we can push the, the time horizon further out. We understand that, you know, if we're going to accomplish something important, it's going to take a little longer. And so we're willing to wait. The further out your time horizon is, the deeper the impact you can make. See, if all you want is a good day, today, that's all you really care about, well, your decisions can be pretty simple. But if you want to impact eternity, you're going to have to think beyond just the pros and cons of this life. You know, listing the pros and cons can be a helpful exercise, but, but it's not enough data because its focus is on an outcome here and now. It may be a few years from now, but it's in this life. And when we decide to follow Jesus, we embark on a path that does not end here. It enters into eternity. And it's a path that in eternity will work out, but between now and then, there's going to be times where very good decisions don't look very good. So if your fact gathering is limited to this life, you just might miss out on making some, some of the best decisions that God might want you to make. In Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, it's, we get a list of, of people who have demonstrated exceptional faith in God. And at the beginning of the chapter, there's some of the big names, you know, Moses and Abraham, some of the ones that, that had some pretty big assignments from God. And they're listed in this chapter. And then as the chapter gets to the end, we, we, we read not just names, but types of people who also had tremendous faith and made good decisions. I mean, you wouldn't make it in Hebrews chapter 11 if you had made bad decisions with your life. And here's what it says near the end of Hebrews 11, starting in verse 35. It says, women, some women received back their dead, raised to life. That's pretty amazing. That decision worked out, right? Others, though, were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Ugh. They were put to death by the sword. That didn't work out. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Now remember, every one of these people made the right decision. Otherwise, they wouldn't be even mentioned in this chapter. Now for some of the people who made the right decisions, they had miraculous outcomes. And that decision worked out in a tremendously good way. They received people back from the dead. But then there are, and this has always interested me about this, uh, this chapter, there are what are simply referred to as the others. The others. What's true of the others? A bunch of bad decisions? No. It wouldn't be in this chapter if they made bad decisions. What's true of the others? The decisions didn't work out in this life. Why? Well, let me read on. Two more verses. Verse 39. 
They were commended for their faith, just like all the other people for whom things really worked out in this life. Yet none of them received what had been promised. It didn't work out for them in this life. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is interesting. What, what's God's better plan? Well, our plan is everything works out. You, you make a decision, and if it's the right decision, good things happen. But God's plan is a little more complex than that. God's plan is to grow faith in every environment. So that in the end, those who live a good life, you know, things have worked out for the most part, and they struggle to have faith. And those who have had a really hard life, and they also have struggled to have faith, both of those paths, the things working out and the things not working out in this life, they come together in eternity. And faith is true on both of those paths. You see, it takes faith on both paths. I mean, if, if you make decisions and your life just is really working out well and things are really coming together, it's a struggle to have faith, isn't it? Why? Well, because you get a little full of yourself and you think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty brilliant. Look at what I've done. People think I'm, I'm, I'm impressive and I'm beginning to agree with them. So it's really hard when things are working out well to believe that I really need God and God's the one who really did this. In fact, every breath I take is a gift from Him and so I better not get arrogant. It's a challenge to, to grow faith in prosperity. Jesus spoke about that. It's a real challenge. But it's also a real challenge to, be, to have faith when things are just not working out. Both of them require faith, and they're different soil, and God wants to grow faith in both kinds of soils, the everything-working-out soil and the not-much-working-out soil. So that when both paths merge together in eternity, I imagine we can have a conversation about how God grew faith in both soils. So what that means is we need to follow God as we make decisions, not just the pros and the cons, which only would tell us, I think this is going to work out. Now, that's okay if it works out, but... If you make a decision because this really seems what God wants you to do and things don't work out, it doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad decision. It could be that you're one of the others. And nobody wants to be the others, but that's not our call. You see, our destiny is heaven, not earth. So we need to think beyond the horizon of this life. So I want you to think again about a decision that you're facing. I ask you at the beginning, get a decision in mind. And then I invite you to take time this week to ask these three questions. I'm going to list these for you on the screen. You don't need to write these down because I've listed them for you on the inside of your listing guide. These are the questions, uh, the homework that you can do. If you're in a growth group, you'll work through this homework and have conversations about these in your growth group. If you're not, you can still work through these questions. But I think I've listed them in the last question of um, the inside of the message insert. So Question number one is, which decision would best fit the measure of faith and grace that God has given you? So as you're thinking about this decision, try to get clear on the measure of faith and the measure of grace. Now, it's fine if this would stretch your faith, but if you're trying to compare yourself to somebody else and you're making a decision based on that, you need to be very, very careful. So which decision fits with who you are, who God made you to be? Number two, question number two, which decision would allow you best to stay faithful to God's big three assignments? 
If you're getting ready to make a decision that's just going to blow your family out for a year or more, don't do it. If you're getting ready to make a decision that, well, you're just going to punt church for a while, don't do it. Maybe the thing you need to realize is before I get clarity, I, I need to get these balls back in the air. Maybe you got one up in the air and the other two are on the ground. You pick them up and get them going. Question number three, which decision might cost you more now but would matter more in eternity? This question is designed just to push your horizon, the pros and cons horizon beyond this life. Which might actually make a difference for eternity? I think these three questions are going to be very helpful as you make your decision. So don't lie to yourself. Let the politicians lie, but don't you lie to yourself. You'll make some bad decisions. Check the facts before you decide. Let's pray together. Father, we want to get really clear on who we are, the assignments that you've given us, the ones that we have right now, and maybe even new ones that you have for us. And we want to get really clear on, on our destiny and not make decisions just that work out now. Help us to gain clarity. I pray for everyone at the point of the decision that they are facing, some of them very significant, some of them more just normal decisions. But God, we, we don't want to take a wrong turn. We've already made enough wrong turns, and you've been gracious to us, and we just really want to know what, what you want us to do. So give us clarity as we face this decision. Help us to be faithful to the assignments you've given. Help us to keep these three balls in the air. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.